Hey everyone, what's up? It is Jeff from Minor Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 298. And finally, a non-pandemic episode for you to really sink your teeth into. Well, sort of a non-pandemic episode. You see, I'm about to go over the number one threat that you and everyone else faces when it comes to your survival. Whether that is a pandemic, or a hurricane, or a home invasion, or a street fight brawl, it doesn't matter what it is. And yes, this really is the biggest threat that you face, and it comes with a stern warning as well as a simple three-step process for what you can do to defeat this threat. It's all coming right up in this week's show, so let's get started. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey there, welcome back everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, and we are finally taking a break from our recent week's broadcasts, keeping you up to date on best prepping practices to help you navigate the global pandemic that's going on. But I do have one final lesson that I've noticed in our current state of affairs and the public's response to how we ease out of forced isolations. And it really got me thinking about a much larger threat that applies not only to pandemics, but really any kind of a threat. So just to give you a little bit of background and bring you up to speed, at this time, there are protests going on all around the country as people have become sick and tired of isolating at home due to the pandemic, not being able to go to work, not be able to make money to pay their bills, kids driving them crazy. And so states have begun opening up restrictions and allowing people back to work, eating out at restaurants and things like that, basically getting back to what we want to be normal. But experts are saying that this is a huge mistake and the number of dead continues to rise and opening up too soon before a vaccine or a better cure can be developed could cause a second wave of infections that could make things even worse than before. So who's right? Well, the fact is we really don't know, right? And that not knowing is the point and the number one threat that I've come to realize when it comes to any crisis, even a natural disaster or a home invasion or a street brawl. So what is this number one threat? Well, it's called cognitive dissonance. Okay, so let me explain what this is, why it's a threat, and then how to overcome it to be safer and better prepared for any threat that you may face. So first of all, cognitive dissonance is a very normal human thing that we experience and that we naturally try to merge our actions with our beliefs. So for example, you believe in the Second Amendment and your right to bear arms. And so you vote for political candidates who you feel will support that right. But when you have two conflicting thoughts at the same time, there's a natural sense of discomfort that our brains don't really like. Now, this conflict is called cognitive dissonance, and we will naturally try to rationalize one thought over the other to resolve this conflict. Now, there are two ways to resolve this. You can either underplay the risk, thereby overplaying the reward of a situation, or vice versa, you can underplay the reward while overplaying the risk. And so a good example of this that I often use with people is people who smoke. We all know that smoking causes cancer, it causes strokes and other deadly health conditions, but smokers still smoke, right? They tend to underplay the health risks while attaching all kinds of physical and emotional gratification and reward to the act of smoking. So using the same example, I lost my father who, who was a smoker. Um, I lost him to lung cancer. He was 36 years old when he died of lung cancer. 
I was only 11 years old, and it really left a big hole in my life growing up. That really resonates with me even today. And the most important thing in my life right now is my son. And I swore I would never do that to someone that I love so much. I would never leave my son without his father and leave that gap in his life. Nor do I want to be without my son, right? I don't, I don't want to be dead. So I naturally overplayed the risk by thinking that smoking absolutely would cause me to die too young because that's what my experience has been. And I underplayed the pleasure that I might have experienced if I was a smoker. So anything about being cool or the status of it or anything like that never even really entered my mind because I always attributed so much risk and not wanting to, to have that, have that in my life dying too young as well as, you know, not have, you know, leaving that gap in my son's life. All right. So this is the same thing that we're seeing right now in relation to the pandemic. We know this virus is highly contagious. We know that it's still out there in every community, and it's deadlier than just a regular flu virus, if not to you, then to someone else who you could transmit it to. But we all want things to feel normal again, right? We all want that reward of feeling like we're back to normal. Well, this is cognitive dissonance in action right now. And it's not just a threat to whether you contract the virus or pass it on to someone else. This is a threat that touches pretty much any dangerous scenario you can think of, meaning cognitive dissonance. All right. Now, I've talked about cognitive dissonance and the threat in a lot of different ways in the past, but I've never really I've never really looked at it as a specific broadcast and, and really looking at the dangers of it, but also how to get over it as well. I've always just kind of labeled it out there. All right. So. I've talked about it in the past in relation to natural disasters. Um, there was a, a story that I've talked about, Hurricane Sandy. I think it was um, a guy who who decided to stay at home because the last hurricane that he evacuated from, taking the warnings of everybody, you know, the, the, the politicians and the and local authorities, he left. Well, the hurricane didn't really hit his, his town very hard before, but when he came back, the place was looted, and he said, this hurricane, I'm not going to, that same thing's not going to happen again. So um, so he stayed. Well, what happened was that the hurricane did hit him. He and his son got trapped in the basement, and they both drowned. All right? I've talked about this in relation to fistfights, where people tend to cower when confronted, hoping and praying that the aggressor doesn't really strike them. So that conflict in the brain is they know that there's a risk there. They know they might have to depend, defend themselves, but this guy is bigger than me, stronger than me, he's probably going to hurt me, so I don't want to strike him because it might just hurt him and then he's going to get madder at me and strike me, all right? There's a mental conflict that happens there. I've talked about this in relation to home invasions where, you know, your your spouse wakes you up at night and, honey, I heard something downstairs and you didn't hear it, so you're like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing, just go back to sleep, honey. I've talked about this in relation to robberies, you know, where somebody says, give me your wallet and now get in the car, right? And now we're seeing it in the pandemic, all right. This is important because your thoughts lead to actions and your actions, whether good or bad, can either save your life or they can kill you. All right. And what my fear is with the pandemic is that this is something that have the deaths turned out to be what we thought they were going to be or what they were predicted to be. Originally, they were predicted to be anywhere from 100 to 200,000. Well, we are nearing 100,000 right now. So it actually has been as predicted. And the reason why the numbers aren't higher are because of the actions that we have finally taken. Now, we didn't take them fast enough. Um, we didn't get guidelines fast enough. People didn't take action fast enough. And so we could have kept these numbers down even more. 
But my concern is in the future, should another type of a virus come out or anything? If the numbers are lower than what's expected now, and we're claiming that we've, we've beaten this thing and we know what we're doing, that the next time it comes around, just like the guy in the hurricane, it's like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal before. It won't be that big of a deal now. I'm going to talk about this because this cognitive dissonance really is a threat. So let me give you some important guidelines for how you can defeat this, where it relates to threats of physical harm from a tactical standpoint, but it also applies pretty much any way you want to use it with any sort of conflict, mental, mental conflict that you have in relation to anything in life, right? All right, so really uh, there's kind of a three-step process here I'll go over, right? Um, step number one is get into a habit of amplifying the risk probability, okay? That's so step number one. Remember, you've got risk and reward that, that we have these conflicting thoughts here, okay? So this is the better safe than sorry type of approach, and it's something that I got into a habit doing as a bodyguard, because when I'm protecting a client, I can't dismiss the threat level at any time. I have to assume that an attack is imminent. It's going to happen. I can't, I can't go and meet with that client and we go out in, the, in the public and it's like, oh, you know what? I've been guarding this person for a year. Nothing's ever happened. Nobody ever has ever tried to kidnap him. Nobody's ever tried to shoot him. Nobody ever comes up. There's really no threat out there. And so la, 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 you just kind of go along. That's the time that something is likely going to happen, right? So as a bodyguard, it's a, it's really mentally challenging because you have to assume that an attack is always going to happen. You just have to wonder where it's coming from. Okay, you're in traffic. It's like, okay, how you have to make sure that you have enough distance between you and the car in front of you that you can get around them if you have to. You have to constantly be scanning your surroundings, looking for, is somebody tailing you? Is somebody coming at you? Does somebody look like a threat? Are they watching you? Are they stalking you? You have to look for those things all the time. These are the same type of skills that we talk about in relation to you and being aware of your surroundings. Are you aware that if somebody is stalking you or watching your home or um, at the ATM machine, are they too close? Typically, people are in the white zone, right? They're not in yellow zone enough. They're not in that caution zone. Um, so how does this play out in, in amplifying the risk probability? Well, you need to make sure that you're taking whatever risks are out there and you need to amplify them, make them more of a risk than what they might seem to normal people out there. Because we are protectors. We protect ourselves. We protect those that we love. And so we know that bad things happen to good people. And so we need to amplify that risk so that we're not caught unguarded like most people will be. So in relation to a natural disaster, it's amplifying that risk that your home could very well be destroyed versus I'm sure things will be fine. I'm sure the hurricane will just blow right away. I'm sure my, my house is strong enough, blah, 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 right? Uh, in relation to a holdup, the guy with his hand in his pocket telling you to give you give him your wallet really could have a gun in his pocket pointed at you rather than just his fingers. You need to amplify that risk probability. When it comes to a fight, that loudmouth at the bar might not just be full of hot air and really might punch you, okay? And as far as a pandemic goes, it's amplifying that risk probability that everybody at the store has cooties. Everybody's got cooties, right? Not just the older people or anything. You just have to assume that everybody is. You amplify the risk. Okay, so that's step number one is amplifying the risk probability and getting in the habit of doing that. Step number two is to know your response triggers ahead of time. So, of course, none of those original risks that I talked about in step one are 100% certain, right? So you have to have a way to show when they are more certain. You have to know when and what to look for so that you know when to take action. 
So for a natural disaster, personally, I always say if the risk is there at all and you have to ask yourself, should I stay or should I go, then there's only one answer. You get the hell out of Dodge. So for me, that trigger, that response trigger is my saying myself, hmm, should I stay or should I go because there is something headed my way. For me, that's a response trigger is just that question itself. Uh, in, a, in relation to a holdup, handing over your wallet or even better, a dummy wallet could be safe, right? So somebody has their hand in their pocket saying, hey, give me your wallet. You hand over your wallet. If you've got a dummy wallet there that you use, which I do recommend people have, you pull it out, you throw it at them, and then you run like hell, right? So that's safe. That's not, you know, whether I'm going to take action trying to attack this person or defend myself isn't the hand over your wallet. That's not the response trigger. But being told to get into the trunk of a car I know is most likely going to end up with me being tortured, dead, and buried in a field somewhere. So that is my response trigger. If somebody, if I give somebody what they ask for and then there's another action after that, especially if it's to take me out of the area, that's my response trigger. When it comes to a fight, learning how to spot the signs that that loudmouth in front of you is about to strike, that's critical. Tensing of the shoulder, neck muscles, clenching of the fist, pacing around to work himself up to strike you, even just reading the situation and knowing that there's no way you're going to talk this guy out of anything. Um, those are all response triggers. If you watch the video at defeat, defeatlargerattackers.com that we have up there, you'll see this in action. You'll see this actual attack happen, but this person doesn't realize that they're in a fight long before this fir the first punch is ever thrown there, okay? Uh, so go over to DefeatLargerAttackers.com and you can check it. You can watch that video and you'll see what I'm talking about right there. This person did not know his response triggers. In relation to the pandemic, your response trigger may simply be paying attention to the infected statistics of your area or nationwide. So if you see it starting to ramp up in your area and you're, you're conscious of it, you're aware of it, it might mean that that's a response trigger for you to do something different than what you've been doing. Or if you are of a higher risk or you interact with someone who is a higher risk, like elderly parents or kids with asthma, things like that, then you may have a much lower threshold of risk there, all right? And you might have to take actions a lot, a lot sooner. But again, this isn't something you figure out in the moment. Because cognitive dissonance is a mental conflict, it has to be processed by the brain. And that's not always an easy thing to do when you're under stress. And you can end up making the wrong decision, putting yourself in even more danger. So you have to role play these in your mind and decide on your triggers ahead of time, all right? Okay, finally, step number three is to be prepared for your response when you're triggered. And this falls under the category of like, you can't write checks that your skills and your level of preparedness can't cash. So having a dozen boxes of, of MREs, of military meals ready to eat in your basement, doesn't make you a prepper. Owning a gun is not the same thing as being able to use it in a real shootout. The karate classes that you took when you were eight years old don't make you a trained street fighter. So in relation to those those other situations that we talked about, like in a natural disaster, do you have a bug out bag ready to go in a matter of under five minutes so that you can get on the road before all of your unprepared neighbors turn the highways into a virtual parking lot, sticking you right in the path of the storm away from your house, all right? You know you should have a bug out bag. Do you have one ready to go? Or are you going to be fumbling around like everybody else trying to think about what you're going to pack away, what you're going to stick in the car, and all of a sudden it's now too late? In relation to a holdup, do you carry a concealed handgun? So if, you're, if your response trigger is somebody says, hey, get in the car or you know, get in that alley, do you have a way to protect yourself? Um, do you carry a concealed handgun? If you do, does it have a bullet in the chamber? And do you know how to get to your gun and be the first one to put metal into meat 
in case you are in an actual shootout, right? Are you trained with it? In relation to a fight, do you know any self-defense moves that will work against someone twice your size, even without having to train for hours and hours and hours to master them, right? Again, go to DefeatLargerAttackers.com, shameless plug there, because that DVD actually does show you these types of moves. But again, if your response trigger is, this person is going to strike me, do you know how to defend yourself, okay? In relation to the pandemic, do you have the right personal protection equipment, your PPE, like masks, hand sanitizer, things like that, and have a plan in place for staying away from the cooties when they're out there, all right? And you've had lots of practice here to be able to see this and know what you need to do in this type of thing, right? Pandemics were something people kind of chuckled about, didn't really think it was going to happen before, but now you know it does, and now we're getting lots of practice nationwide about what to do about those things, all right? Okay, so I hope you can really recognize how cognitive dissonance plays a role in how you respond to any type of a threat. And it lends even more evidence now to thinking about your brain as your number one weapon. So go ahead and role play out your own risk factors. Role play out what your response triggers are. When are you going to take action in something? And then decide on the gear or training gaps that you may have right now that will help you be better prepared. And most importantly, to take action on closing those gaps. Make sure that you do something to fill in those gaps so that when your response trigger is triggered, you can follow up with the action that's needed for that threat. All right. Well, that about wraps things up for this week. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.